Welcome back to another edition of the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside the Knoxville News Sentinel's Adam Sparks. Today on the podcast, going to be discussing Adam's recent story about uh, former Tennessee football player and former Tennessee assistant Jay Graham. You can find that uh, over at knoxnews.com right now. Uh, Adam, you had a, a sit down recently with with Jay Graham and uh, I know he uh, during that interview with you opened up about uh, his mental health and and why he abruptly left uh, Nick Saban's coaching staff at Alabama last year of course Jay Graham was was previously on Tennessee staff under Jeremy Pruitt uh, after that staff uh, was was let go he joined up with Alabama but was there just um, you know a, a few weeks on Saban's staff and and at the time Graham tweeted a statement saying he was he was taking time away from football uh, to seek professional help and, and and gain better understanding of his mental health and spend time with loved ones uh, and now he, he's opened up about uh, that with you so let's let's dive into that and and um, I guess just in general what what did you learn um, from from your uh, from your interview with with Jay Graham and what he uh, told you about well, a little a little background on this. Uh, one of our editors, Chris Thomas, one of our editors for Knox News and for the, for the state of Tennessee, he he noticed that Jay Graham was back in town. Jay is coaching uh, middle school football at Concord Christian, a small private school here in Knoxville, and said, hey, he's here in town. We haven't heard from him in over a year since he left Alabama very abruptly, like you mentioned. Let's see if he wants to, you know, update us on his life and that sort of thing, because he hadn't really talked about what happened. And I reached out to Jay, and he was very open, very honest. Uh, It's about a two-hour interview I did with him uh, recently over Concord. If if people don't know Jay Graham, and sometimes I take this for granted, anybody my age, I'm 42, anybody my age or older knows plenty about Jay Graham if you follow Tennessee football at all, but but some people may may not. Former UT running back in the mid-1990s. If you remember that run of, of UT running backs in the 90s, you know, you had the James Littleman Stewart, Aaron Hayden, Charlie Garner, and then Jay Graham, mid-90s, and then after him, Jamal Lewis. You had that run of really good running backs. He was right in the middle of them. It was really good, uh, especially in 95. Um, then he spent five years in the NFL, and then for the past 16 years, he's coached uh, at a number of places, 10 different schools in college, uh, college football, South Carolina. He was at UT three different times. One of them is a GA under Fulmer. Uh, he was at Florida State on the national title team. He's at Texas A&M. And then he was most recently at uh, at Alabama there uh, for just a little over a month. Really good running backs coach, great recruiter. Uh, and now he's in a middle school. And that's why I want to know, why are you at a middle school and why did you leave? And, I mean, he kind of got down to it in the interview of what happened, very candid. Uh, it was about mental health. And it was about uh, strain and exhaustion and resentment and a lot of these words that I guess can be thrown around pretty easily. But he was uh, he was pretty candid about how things had built up over years. He had some panic attacks at Alabama when he left. There was a pretty startling uh, scene that he painted when he he ran out of the facility. And you have to read the story in KnoxDews.com to get all the details of it. But ran out of the facility and pretty much instantly quit coaching at that level. He popped up at ETSU as a quality control guy, off the field guy in the fall, but that was, that was short lived and he stepped away from college coaching. But uh, when he left Alabama, checked himself into a hospital, went into intensive uh, therapy program, went on medication for anxiety, 
still does group therapy, joined a faith-based men's group to talk about his problems, uh, and he left college football. The panic attacks, he said, have been away from him now for a number of months, which obviously is good news. But within the story, Jay gives a lot of warning signs that he saw over the previous you know, 10, 15 years that I thought were pretty startling. And, and one of them that jumped out to me was one that he talked about when he was in South Carolina. He was being interviewed, I think it was 2010, by Aaron Andrews. Everybody knows of Aaron Andrews. She was at ESPN at the time. I think this was when uh, when college game day was at uh, Columbia, South Carolina. That, If you remember 2010, that's when uh, Spurrier's uh, team there beat Alabama, upset Alabama. And I think it was for a college game day package. He had sat down to talk about Marcus Latimer, the really good running back in South Carolina that he coached there. And Jay thought that Aaron was going to ask about, you know, his skill set and and things, football and speed and power and the way he runs the ball and, and how they want to use him and all these football things on the field things. And she turned to a human interest angle, which we all do in these kinds of interviews. And she said, you know, how do you feel about Marcus? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you feel about him as a person? How do you feel about how he treats people? And Jay said that her asking about his feelings just boiled something up in him. And he got up and walked out of the interview. Steve Spurrier even had to chase him down the hall and say, you know, buddy, what's, what's, what's up? What's wrong? I put myself in the spot of Aaron Andrews there. Blake, how many times have you interviewed somebody over the years? Ask what you thought was a very normal question. And they had a very defensive response to it because I, I know I've done that over the years and you think, what's, what's up with that guy? It tells you there's a whole lot that can be going on with somebody that you don't necessarily uh, pick up on, on the surface. Yeah, it's, it's so true. Sometimes the, the questions that you think are, are almost a passing question and, and you don't think it's going to get much at, at all. Sometimes those are the ones that, uh, you know, evoke the most, most response or, or emotion from someone. I'm, as, as Jay Graham's telling you this, did he say, you know, did he suspect, you know, for years that, that he may be dealing with with something with his his mental health? Was he able to, you know, kind of outline for you how far maybe this this dates back? And and also, you know, mental health is is such a a broad term that that gets used a, a lot. You know, we hear discussed a lot these days. Did he really kind of pin down for you some of the things that he was experiencing? And, and and you mentioned, you know, through therapy and men's groups, that's how he's addressed them. Um, but does he feel like, you know, what he was experiencing, he, he's now addressed and, and is making strides uh, in improving his mental health? He feel like he's a- addressed it in the past year. Most of the what he thought were the warning signs were things that he did not recognize at the time. It's it's more of sort of rewinding the tape. Uh, and the, that that Aaron Andrews interview was just one of them. He mentioned a lot of others that we kind of go uh, go through in the story. It went back as you know, at least to at least to the end of his time playing at Tennessee, and then it went into the NFL. And, and it's funny you you mentioned this is hard sometimes when we blend mental health with you know, there's a difference between stress and anxiety. He and I talked about that. Anxiety is more mental health. Stress is more just maybe uh, what we think of as, you know, everyday challenges in our life. Um, and so those those lines get blurred a whole lot. But, you know, it, he he told me the story of how his faith uh, was strained uh, late in his tenure at Tennessee as a player and then the NFL. He said, uh, 
he said when he became a Christian, his uh, as he said, his, his senior year of uh, at Tennessee, uh, he had a great game against Alabama. Right when he said he became saved, and then the next week he he played against Alabama. And you can go on YouTube and see he has this epic run that ends up beating Alabama. And then he had a great game, and then he didn't have a good game like a couple weeks later, and a week after that. And he said, you know, he he thought, well, this is supposed to, everything's supposed to work out great for me now because my my you know, my faith has been proven and this sort of thing. He said that came up again when he was in the NFL. He had a number of knee injuries, ankle injuries, cut his NFL uh, career short. And he said that one of his one of his last games as an NFL player, he told one of his teammates, I think it was with the Packers, he said, I'm going to pray throughout the night. He was starting the next day and he thought this is his big chance. And he said, I'm going to pray nonstop through the entire night. And his buddy said, no, I, don't, I don't think that's a good idea. Like you're playing tomorrow, like, you know, say a prayer for your health and go to bed, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he said he had a terrible game the next day. He got re-injured. And he said that when he left the NFL then and went into coaching, his faith was strained. He felt entitled. He thought everything would go well for him from that point forward. And it didn't. And then when you add the stress of college coaching on top of that, said he felt a lot of resentment. And, and again, I know what I'm saying isn't necessarily mental health, but it's a little bit of the foundation of what can get you there and uh, issues in mental health. And I think there were probably challenges he, he had in his family. We didn't talk in great detail about that, but the death of his mother uh, four years ago really weighed on him heavily. And that's where our conversation went into this thing about the strain and exhaustion uh, of college coaching. His mother died in 2018. Uh, she was as close to him as anybody. And he was coaching at Texas A&M at the time. It was in the 2018 season. Uh, I know they played number one. They played like three number ones that year, Alabama and Georgia, and I think Clemson. Brutal schedule. And his mother died during the season. I think it was in October. And he said that just shook him up uh, quite a bit and uh, because The way he put it, too, he said the problem was she died during the football season, which is a really funny thing Mm. to say. You know, the problem was she died during the football season. And so he wasn't there. He had to go coach and he couldn't leave. And I I think that just tells you sort of the. The pressure that's put on coaches, I mean, they get paid a lot of money, but the pressure put on coaches to be there all the time and to recruit all the time and and that this is the most important thing in, in life. And I think I think Jay got pulled in just as much as you you and I have both seen it with a number of coaches that sort of have this burnout, maybe. But then other times it can kind of metastasize into something bigger. And that certainly was for him. You know, as, as Jay's discussing the scene of him, you know, leaving the facility at, at Alabama and then, you know, announcing uh, he was he was stepping down from his assistant coaching position there after that. Did he discuss at all, you know, what the response was from from Nick Saban to that from the Alabama staff? How was that? Because I'm sure that's I mean, that's not something that, that commonly happens, you know, by, by a football staffer. And as you said, he, you know, a, a colleague, someone that was working with him. I believe it's in your story. Asked him, "Are you just leave? You know, are you leaving for the day?" And he said, "No, I'm leaving for good." So, what was the response? You know, from Alabama and and Nick Saban? Did he say? Yeah, he, you know, he came in. So, so the scene is that he's coming out of a, a staff meeting at Alabama, and then he sort of has I don't know if breakdown is the right word, but sort of has has a that that's what I would uh, I would say not as a mental health professional. It's sort of a breakdown. 
And he said he's in his office and he's crying uncontrollably, has trouble breathing, all these things. And he, he had this one line uh, that's in the story. He said, I'm crying at work. Saban ain't going to like this. <laughs> and so it's this, it's this, you know, this picture that we, that's, that's painted that Nick Saban is this hardcore work business all the time guy. And he's not going to, he's not going to understand this, what's going on. You know, juxtapose that after the fact with uh, Nick Saban called him a whole bunch of times, checked in with him when he was going in to check in the hospital. Saban was calling him. He, he was concerned with him. I haven't talked to Nick Saban about this one on one, but I can't imagine he completely understood what Jay was going through. But he was concerned enough to reach out and consistently do that. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm sure Nick Saban, like anybody else, kind of sees coaches that are whether it's mental health or or something less, he's seen guys that are kind of at the end of the line in terms of mental strain and exhaustion and all these things that uh, that can come up in this business. And, you know, Nick Saban is a harder recruiter and worker in college football as there is. But, you, you know, you may have read this, uh, the Matt Luke piece the other day. I think Ross Dellinger at SI.com had it. Yep. Former Ole Miss uh, head coach, former uh, Georgia assistant coach mo- most recently has now uh, has now hung it up and doesn't know if or when he's going to coach college football anymore. He's got he's got burnout. Yeah, and it, you know he didn't cite mental health. Yeah, but it it was yeah more generally burnout. Uh, there was a story I know that Ross wrote about in that one that uh, he said uh, Matt Luke said he was at Disney World and was getting a call from a recruit and he had to leave his kids on the rides to take the call from the recruit and step away. He's on a family trip and he's got to do that. And he said that was sort of a, you know, that was sort of an alarm bell that maybe, you know, maybe I don't have to do this. I've made a lot of, I've made enough money and I've had a career and I just won a national title at Georgia and maybe it's time to step away. And he did. And he's, he's similar age, uh, almost exactly the same age as, as uh, Jay Graham, not saying those two cases are the same, but there are those pressures there. By the way, one thing that jumped out to me, I'm, I'm planning on a Disney World trip here in the next couple of weeks with my family. And, and I have to point out that Ross had in the story, he was waiting for his kid at the Harry Potter ride at Disney World. Harry Potter is not at Disney World. Harry Potter is Universal Studios. <laughs> important <laughs> distinction. There. Thank you. Important detail. They're both in Orlando, but Harry Potter is not Disney. Uh, <laughs> that jumped out to me as much as anything. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you see this, you see coaches that are just like, why, why am I doing this? And, you know, Graham didn't deal with it with, uh, with NIL and the portal necessarily, because he stepped away more than a year ago before NIL really came into play. But Blake, don't you, don't you think this is probably going to become more and more the case of guys stepping away because the recruiting periods that were in place that were already pretty demanding, Again, coaches get paid a lot of money, not saying they don't uh, they shouldn't work around the clock. But with NIL now in, into it, into the transfer portal, is, has this whole other period of recruiting. I can see a number of coaches, and I've talked to coaches that are like, I don't, I don't really know if this is worth it to do this for 30, 40 years. Yeah, I think we could start seeing some coaches that, you know, they hit 50 years old or something. They say, you know what, that's it. I've I've had enough. It's it's time to to dial it down now. But on the other hand, we're seeing reports of the NCAA maybe considering lifting the limit of assistant coaches. And so I guess well, if you can just 
you know, if your if your athletic department has the money and you can go out and hire an army of 50 assistant coaches versus 10 assistant coaches, which is the limit now, you know, maybe that makes a difference. And, and you already see some of these programs, they just hire endless amounts of off the field analysts and quality control guys. But but obviously the head coach and the assistants, they, they're the front men. And so they, the grind, um, you know, wears on them the most. You mentioned, you know, Matt Luke and I know earlier this spring, I sat down with Joe Osavet, a, a member of, of Jeremy Pruitt's final staff, and he actually is, is coaching at Heritage High School now outside of Maryville. And he had opportunities to continue in college coaching, but he said, you know, really as you weighed the time that you pour into the job and what you miss from a family perspective versus the quality life that he could get, you know, being a PE teacher and a, and a high school football coach, doesn't mean he's necessarily done with college football forever, but for the foreseeable future, he wants to coach high school ball and get more time with his family and, and you know, get more time with his kids. And, you know, he talked about just all the things that he could do and feel like he was, he was being able to do, be a dad for the first time in a way, like truly being, being a dad versus, uh, you know, you try to squeeze in some time on a, on a Sunday morning or, or something before you go to the office and maybe squeeze in some time in the off season. So I do think that the job is, is certainly as demanding as, as ever, but, you know, as you said, there is, you know, there's that differentiation between the burnout versus, you know, mental health situations and in, in, in someone's life. And sometimes those those lines probably get conflated a little bit. And these are all competitive guys, you know, and if other uh, sports, we can talk about competitive women. These are these are former athletes that only want to win. There's a couple of quotes from Jay in the story where he says, I would leave early in the morning and my family would be asleep. I would come home late at night and my family would be asleep. I'd get up the next morning and my family's still asleep. And he said, you know, I wouldn't see my family at all. But then like the next line, I, I remember how he said this in uh, in the interview. He said, but then I would be very resentful of these guys that were not working enough. He said, I was working all the time and that was really bad for me. And then I'd look at these other guys that weren't working as much and I'd think, why are they not working as much? They should be working more. You know, it's this it's this weird dichotomy. It's, I mean, it's, it, it's a contradiction because you're you're almost you're resenting guys that probably are doing it a little more balanced. But you're resenting the fact that they're that they should be working harder. Uh, I, I don't I don't know how those two things necessarily can make sense in, in one's mind, but. That's what you get when guys are ultra competitive, but then they also know it, it makes sense to step away. And everybody else, you know, you, you don't have to be a college football coach to to have those two competing thoughts, I suppose. You want to work really, really hard, but not work too hard. And that's something that he had dealt with over a number of years. And you get that especially, I think, you know, Jay coached at UT Martin. We talked quite a bit about that. He and I know some people that are connected there. Coached at Chattanooga coached in the Mid-American, the MAC Conference. But, you know, once he got to the level of South Carolina, Tennessee, Florida State, A&M, Alabama, once you get to that SEC high power five level, then, and you're known as a recruiter, which he is, you better produce and you better pull in some four and five stars or you're not, or your reputation's going to, going to drop off. You know, you mentioned Osabeth there. We, we, we both know how this goes, that Guys can step away from college coaching, but if you step away for too long and then you want to go, you want to get back in, that's difficult. I mean, 
we see that with guys right now that are in broadcasting, right? You you better be connected to the game because if you're away for too long, you're not going to get back in. And I think that's always the fear with some of these guys when they step away. Well, and like a lot of industries, it's, you know, getting jobs in college coaching is so much about who you know. And the longer you're out of the game, the fewer and fewer guys you, you've worked with or you've had connections with or that worked with you recently, et cetera. I mean, it is one of those careers where I think it can be hard to break through. But once you do break through and you're in the club, you know, it's like it doesn't matter how many times, how many staffs you get fired from. Someone else will always hire you again because it's like, oh, yeah, I work with this guy. He's, he's a good assistant and, you know, didn't work out for them at that staff. But he's, he's a good assistant. It'll be good for us. And so they always bounce back. Um, but, yeah, I mean once you're out of the game for a while, you, you, you wonder if you start to lose those connections. So that, that brings me to this. Did, what did Jay Graham say is his, is his long-term outlook now? Like, did he, do you see this more as, uh, you know, coaching at a local middle school? Is this a, is this sort of a reboot for him where he's just going to, you know, lay a little bit lower for a while than, than you are when you're a college coach, but he wants to jump back into it or, do you think he's serious about leaving college coaching behind and, and he's, he's hung it up in terms of college coaching and that this, uh, you know, coaching at the middle school level, coaching at the local level is more the, the long-term plan for, for Jay Graham. Well, I mean, you never know where his life is going to go, uh, you know, five years down the road. Uh, so I, I don't think he knows for sure, but I ask him that in a number of ways. Is this, long term here and he said where his mind is right now he the way he said it he said college is not for me right now college is just not for me now you know we 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 all know sometimes that we can say this is you know i don't want to go do that anymore that that you know that job or that career or whatever was not good for me or my family or uh, you know, my health or whatever. And so I'm getting out and then sometimes you can be pulled back in once you feel better. And as I mentioned, his panic attacks have, have gone away now through medication and therapy and another n- number of things like that. Um, so if you ask him now, and I did, he said he's most likely not going back to college coaching. Y- you never know though, if you get well, maybe that changes. The The plan right now is somewhat long-term. Concord Christian School small private school in uh in knoxville uh, over in the farragut area um it uh it had a high school program for a few years troy fleming was the coach there another another former tennessee running back and it didn't do well it they tried to start it and it just it it wasn't working starting from scratch and didn't have it didn't have success and so they shut down the program uh about about four years ago i think it was and and this is sort of the reboot for the high school program. Now, Jay is coaching middle school right now. Um, they'll have some scrimmages in the fall and then a full season, I think, after that, the next year in 2023. And then those kids will then go into high school. And that's when Jay will also go into high school and they'll reboot the high school program. And so the idea is long term, uh, Jay would coach the same kids for let's say five, six years, like seventh grade to 12th grade. That's the same coach with the same players. And by the time those guys are juniors and seniors, you've got somewhat of a healthy, solid high school program that you can build on. Benji Schuler, a former former teammate of Jay's, is on the board at uh, Concord Christian. Benji's, of course, the the brother of uh, of Heath Schuler. He's over there. They've got 
quite they've got some support i think they're probably going to put some money into the facilities and all that so the plan is for jay graham to be there long term for like the three to six year uh you know commitment but we'll, we'll see he's in he's in a much better place he tells me and people that are close to him tell me than he was you know nine months a year ago and so if that keeps up i, I think he'll probably stay in it for quite a while That kind of brings me to a closing thought, and you were touching on it there a little bit, Adam. As you're talking across two hours uh, with Jay Graham, and as you mentioned earlier, sometimes as reporters we have to acknowledge we don't know everything that's going on in someone's life. We don't know you know, what they're feeling about different things all the time. We know what they tell us, um, but but we have to acknowledge that sometimes. But still, you pick up on stuff as, as you're talking to someone throughout the course of a couple hours and as you talk to other people close to them. What do you think about where Jay Graham is right now? Do you think he's, um, you know, he, he's addressed uh, the, the mental health issues that he said he needed to address? Do you think he has a good outlook on life right now? Do you think he's happy where he is and where his his life is right now? What was the impression that you got, you know, from the time you spent around him? Yeah, you always know that you've asked an effective question if the if the if the subject ponders it for a second and i ask him toward the end of it which is sometimes an easy throwaway question i said jay are you happy and he kind of turned his head to the side and had to think about that one for a little bit and he said i don't don't know exactly you know if happy is necessarily the term i'd put on he said i have joy and we talked a little bit about his faith and some of that and it was more of a, a positive outlook that he said he did not have for a number of years uh positive outlook on social media. And you can actually see that if you go to his Twitter, uh, he sort of searches out, you know, positive type outlook things on social media, positive in the way that he looks at other people. He doesn't resent coworkers in a way that he said he used to. Um, I mean, you can follow the path of him in how he explains his time at Tennessee. Um, so Jay was at Tennessee three different times as a coach. He was a GA under Fulmer. That was for one year. And then he moved down as, as GAs do. And he got a full-time job at Chattanooga. But the the other two times was he was on Derek Dooley's uh, last staff before he got fired. Then he was retained by Butch Jones. And not long after that, he left for Florida State. And he, he said he got a whole lot of backlash from the UT community and the fans about why he left for you know, a higher paying job or a better position or whatever. Why, you know, why, Jay, why'd you leave your alma mater? And he said there were a number of things in that situation that people, that fans and even media members didn't, didn't know the full story. And, a, and he kind of hinted at that he was told he was not the right fit. Uh, and I think he was going to be underpaid for quite a bit what he would make elsewhere. He was, I think, one of the lowest paid guys on the staff. So I tried to poke at him a little bit about, well, tell me the, the, the real story. And he said, I don't, you know, I don't want to get into that resentment, all that sort of stuff. Again, I'm in a good place now with Tennessee. And then he left again most recently. How he ended up at Alabama was he was not retained by Josh Hopple. He was on, uh, he was on Jeremy Pruitt's staff. Uh, NCAA investigation goes down. You covered all that. Um, and he was not retained. And of course, he wasn't retained. He, he has not been implicated publicly of any kind of any wrongdoing in that. We'll see when the NCAA investigation wraps up how that goes. But he was not implicated at being at fault in any of that. But yeah, the new coach 
with an active investigation of a staff, you're not going to retain any of those guys. Yeah, you're none just, of those none not. of those assistants were retained. Only two of the assistants were fired for cause, Brian Niedermeyer and Shelton Felton, but none of the assistants were retained. They all either took other jobs or were just kind of quietly let go. As you said, they, the ones who were not fired for cause were not implicated as being involved in, in the alleged malfeasance, not implicated by Tennessee anyway. It's just new coach comes in, those guys aren't going to be kept. That's just the way it yeah. goes. And 90% of coaches aren't retained anyway, even if it's like you're leaving on good terms. If you have an NCAA investigation, again, one that's active, that coach, I mean, that coach would be foolish to come in and say, well, I'm I'm going to keep this guy. Hope he didn't get implicated later. You, you, you have to clean house just for optics, even if somebody wasn't at fault, uh, as Jay says that he wasn't. Um, but he, you know, he took that hard and, he talked a lot about having resentment over the years for Tennessee because he always pictured this sort of happy ending. Again, it goes back to his playing days of everything's going to work out well. I'm going to have this perfect ending. And he always had this in, in, in his mind that I played at Tennessee. I love Tennessee. I love the fan base. I love Neyland. I love everything about the Vols. And I'm going to step in and I'm going to be a, a coach at Tennessee. And this is going to be long term, you know. You know, Phil Former, the uh, Phil Former, the guy that brought him to Tennessee as a player, was you know, was a, a true VFL. I mean, he's you know, Phil Former, player assistant, coordinator, coach, um, athletic director. Uh, he, you know, he ran the gamut, and that does not happen much anymore. Uh, for better or worse, it just doesn't happen. I think Jay always had it in his mind that it would always work out in some way, and when the when the fit was weird uh, and there was some animosity, I think on that initial staff, uh, when Butch, when Dooley, when Dooley was fired, Butch Jones came in, that didn't sit right with him. He harbored a whole lot of feelings toward the administration and toward Tennessee about that. And then when it happened again and Phil Fulmer was let go and during all that NCAA investigation and, and during the same announcement, he had even more resentment and, uh, you know, he told me that when he was told he had to leave, he wasn't going to be retained, that he said his first response was, I can't believe this happened again. I can't believe I came here back here from Texas A&M and this happened all over again. He said, well, what happened again? Well, it was a lot of things. It was former was let go. You know, he's let go as a coach you know, years and years ago. Now he's being let go as an AD. No, no, um, no, Adam. He retired. That's right. He retired. Didn't you, didn't you get that memo? He retired. He, he retired. I got that. I got that uh, press release. <laughs> Fulmer was was ousted. Oh, it happened again. I was going to be coach at UT for long term, and I was only here for a year again. Oh, it happened again. I was pushed out the door because I wasn't the right fit. It happened again, and so. When he described all this, Jay would always come back to, but I'm good with Tennessee now, and I understand what they did, and I understand a lot of what happened, and I don't have any ill feelings. And you can see the difference in how he ex how he describes how he felt earlier, even years ago, to how he feels now. And you know, this would be the first year, first year not coaching that he's not coaching college football. He's going to live in Tennessee since he was, well, quite frankly, a player. And he said he's going to go to games this year and he's going to enjoy it. And he's a VFL and all those sort of things. It's a it's a weird pressure that you, some guys live with now of coaching at your alma mater 
and thinking that's always got to work out. I would advise anybody. Peyton Manning has probably heard this from some smart people around him. Dude, don't go coach at your alma mater because you can count on one hand where that's worked out, where you play there, you're a great player, and you come back and you coach there, and then you get a statue. I mean, Yeah, if you're a great player there, they, you will always be beloved at, at your alma mater. If you're a great player there and then become a coach there and struggle as a coach – well, then you might not be beloved quite as quite as much. So your epitaph is a little different. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I would advise anybody to stay away because it's it's always going to be ill feelings. I mean, the, the only way you leave a school when you're a coach is you retire or you're fired. And nine times out of ten, yeah, nine yeah. times out of ten, it's it's the former and not the latter. But uh, Jay Graham, you know, went out on on his own terms and and really just a a fascinating story and, and really opened up with Adam there um, in, in their interview. And you can find that story. I know we've talked about it at length here, but you can find it over at knoxnews.com and uh, also in your, your print editions as well. We're going to leave it there. And thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.